0: Of Chastain, I've been wondering have you written any songs lately because you were writing songs there for a little while not that. I did
1: not expect that question it's <laughs> good if I'm you're trying a, to get ya. If you're a patreon listener you know that we had a fake question last time we posted <laughs> fake this question, this, is fake is one. this is a real question this is a real question that's a that's a good one so yes. Um, so here's the thing. Can we go down a rabbit hole of my music for a minute? (laughs) Sure. So I don't have a lot of people who ask me about me, my, what I do, because I don't share a lot of like my, a lot of my music ends up being teach me teacher stuff. So literally tons of people hear it, but I don't think a lot of people realize that I'm making a lot of it from scratch. I'm doing all this, that they're actual songs. I just cut out some stuff and make, you know, little snippets of it. But, um, With that said, I do stuff all the time and I have like these moments where I have this idea and then I go to my office and I disappear for eight hours. And then I come out and I'm like, hey, wife, you want to listen to a song? And then we, you know, (laughs) and I listen to it over and over again. And um, I've developed kind of uh, I've been experimenting with um, some new sounds and it's kind of I've kind of coalesced into like this little album that I've kind of been messing with, which is a combination of uh covers like I've done my own prison by Creed and kryptonite by three doors down and uh, nothing else matters Tonight. by Metallica um I've also done my most recent cover I did was follow me by Uncle Cracker which was a fun one my wife hates that song which is hilarious I did not know that until I did it but I heard it and I was like oh yeah I love this song and I was like surely it's not too hard so I learned it on guitar. And then I kind of put together some, you know, musical ensemble on the computer with piano and everything else. And I think it turned out really good. Um, and, but what I've really been doing is I have a bunch of music that I made, uh, with a, before I was a teacher, I worked at Walgreens and I, in my, the last Walgreens I worked at, one of the managers was a drummer and I'm a drummer. But at the time I was playing a lot of acoustic and I was like, man, let's do a band, man. I would love to be a part of something where I wasn't the drummer. Like, let me play guitar and write songs and let's just see where we're at. And so a lot of that, that time period was one of my most creative time periods in music writing. So what I've been doing is going back to a lot of that material and seeing what I can do with it, just creating different versions and, and just having fun and like going in and You know, I've matured as a musician, I've gotten better at some things, I've gotten better at recording. And so I now have like, I mean, about 50 minutes, roughly, which is a solid album, I like a little bit longer, but of music that's both covers and original stuff. Um, That I've had a lot of fun doing and it's it's more therapeutic and no one except for close people will ever really hear the stuff maybe I don't know I've I've tinkered with the idea of releasing stuff anonymously just to see if there was you know any any traction with it. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a big fear of doing it with my current platform and then people just making (laughs) fun of me so I can't do that (laughs) which is a very real reality.
0: People would make fun of you. Well, I don't know about that.
1: Um, I, I work. <laughs> I, I now work at a high school where kids are very in tune to everything on social media. So I have gotcha. to, So if if, if people would into the kids would, and that would just be heartbreaking for them to make fun of me in the hallways for some type <laughs> of thing I made. So um, I have to be mindful of that. So your answer is yes. I I am still doing it. Um, I've been busy truthfully for the past several weeks so I haven't done much but it's it's been fun it's a nice it's it's a nice break you know I people know of the listeners of the podcast when I play video games I read books I write and stuff but music is is an obsession that if I get an idea or if I want to do something it takes up a whole weekend or a whole Saturday if I'm fast on something um and it's nice and then I have a little product that I get to listen to and it's fun and Yeah, I don't know. That's my that's my answer, Ochoa.
0: Well, there you go. Welcome everybody to Craft and Draft. There's the talent and (laughs) I'm just the talker. (laughs) So welcome to Craft and Draft. Go ahead, Jacob. Uh, take take it from here.
1: Yes, welcome everyone. We love what we do here. We we really do. We're not recording so late this time. La- if you're a Patreon, our- that last bonus episode, I'm telling you, that is worth the price of admission. Go if you don't <laughs> want to be a listener plus, go be a-, a just join at the listener tier on the Patreon page, and you will just get a- an earful of all the craziness that happened on that last episode. It was it was a wild one. We recorded late. We were both tired, and that was just a recipe for all the things. But <laughs> if you're here right now, you're wanting to talk about what we have in the title, which we're going to be diving into a question that was actually sent to me related through Teach Me Teacher, uh, which is interesting. But as you guys know, Teach Me Teacher is not a podcast that I really answer direct questions all the time. Sometimes I like to do follow up episodes where we address like a bunch of questions, but it's just not it's not that kind of show. So I'm i am stealing That question and bringing it over here so maybe we can uh, help out Josh who sent us the message. But his question, I'm going to read it in a minute, but it really has to deal with managing independent reading with some standards that may not fit the kind of independent reading that your kids are doing. But before we get to that, I want to tell you that this episode, this podcast is brought to you by you, our wonderful listeners. And people who subscribe, review, and most importantly, support us over there at our Patreon page, which you can as well. You can go to patreon.com slash craftanddraft, or you can go to craftanddraftworkshop.com and click at the top so you can join us over there. You get bonus episodes, including nine bonus episodes that no one else has heard bonus content bonus access to training early access direct access to us and videos including our craft and draft setup videos the first few weeks of workshop or the first few days of workshop and so much more including data talks and 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 all the things We're, we're just covering all kinds of stuff over there that no one ever hears on the free feed so go over there if you're interested in some extra pd that you can enjoy on your own but truthfully we can only do that because alicia brandy leah mark Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol and Alyssa, Destiny, Lori, Natalie Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah Lori, Jen and Matt support us over there so go join them if we hit our 20 Patreon goal which we're just 5 away from that right now we will start doing live Zoom hangouts, which would be super fun. Get everyone together, hang out, talk about teaching, talk about workshop in a in a in a wonderful little community. That's our goal, is to just really get this community rolling. So go join us over there and it'll be absolutely wonderful. But with all of that said, let's get to the question. righty, Miss Ochoa. We have Josh messaging us. He says, thank you for all that you do. I'm a sixth grade teacher in an elementary setting in a suburb of Chicago. I'm listening to episode 218 of the teaching teacher podcast. You were asked about not reading the books the kids are currently reading, and you spoke about grounding yourself in the standard if necessary. The example you give is about setting affecting plot. I'm curious about how you find yourself going back to the standard if the kid was reading an informational text and you're working on fiction standard or vice versa. We spend a lot of time on informational standards per district requirements, yet my kids read far more fiction independently. Thank you for taking the time to potentially respond. Well, Josh... Welcome to craft and draft where we take questions and talk about them for <laughs> nearly an hour. So Miss Ochoa, I've been talking for a little bit, so I'm going to pitch it to you. First of all, let's go. Let's let's talk about the, the scene he just painted. OK, you're working on something else. Let's say you've moved into nonfiction, whatever that looks like. Pick pick and choose what you want to do. But your kids are independently reading something. Are they almost always independently reading fiction?
0: For my kids? Yeah. Uh, for the most part, yeah, I have some some guys that like to read about uh, World War II, and they mainly like to read about football all the time. So, so a lot of those are autobiographical or, uh, you know, more like what you would find in a nonfiction section, informational text. But for the most part, yes, my kids are reading fiction. So
1: we we know this, right? This is—I think—this mm-hmm. is a very common issue, and I think it's where a lot of people, you know, we we reference the people who look down upon independent reading um, often. Yes, uh, partly because we we fully believe that you know educating on how to interact with those people is really how we can, we can best support a lot of our teachers that listen to this is that just teaching how to navigate the more difficult aspects of, um, just this work, just getting independently reading, independent writing. Not a lot of people see the value in those things. Um, and so we have to just be mindful of that and not constantly just rebel, but really build bridges with people and, and try to get them to understand. But with that said, it's, it's a, it is an issue. If you're trying to cycle in the work that you're doing uh, in conferencing, but in your lessons you're talking about something else, uh, there, there is a small disconnect at first glance and i think this goes to where you and i talk a lot about kind of the multi-genre approach and truthfully Mm -hmm. in texas a lot of our standards do overlap do they a hundred percent overlap absolutely not but are there a lot of them that lend to different things yes and i would be interested josh if your standards do the same so ochoa let's paint that picture real quick I said paint the picture twice on here. I don't know why I'm using that example. You that, are that.
0: wanting to paint today. Apparently. I don't know where that's
1: coming from. That's so weird. I must have heard that today.
0: <laughs> but uh,
1: that concept, though, what, what is it? What what What's a fictional standard that you can think of that naturally lends itself to... Um, a, a nonfiction perspective, or I guess backwards, right? So we're we're talking about if you're teaching nonfiction and kids are reading fiction. Well, what are some of the overlaps between fiction and nonfiction that you can think of?
0: Well, that's a good question.
1: <laughs> Josh, <laughs> that's, that's why why Josh is here?
0: <laughs> uh, well, some overlap. I wish I had my standards in front of me. I could probably figure it out, but um. I'm, th- I'm thinking, you know, when you're dealing with inferencing, making inferences, making predictions, when you're actually doing reading skills, uh, that, you know, like, you know, imagining things, uh, vocabulary, all of that would be included. Uh, you're looking at structure. And so a lot of times the structure would be different, but it's still structured. So like story is often structured in a narrative format where, you, you know, you have that. Uh, plot sometimes it's it's, most of the time it's a non-linear plot where you have several plots and one thing especially for fiction Uh, but in um, the structure in a particular informational text you're looking at you know an introduction and a body a paragraph um, I mean body paragraphs and then conclusion uh, they all have a controlling idea but in both cases both both authors will have a message and that message in an informational text is often found in that controlling idea. That's where you know, where they're trying to argue, if you will, for whatever it is their opinion is or what they're trying to to show or explain. But when you're looking at narrative, their message is a little more uh it's not right out there unless you're doing Aesop's fable or you know some kind something like that. So, so their their message is more um hidden, if you will, in the text. It, it's not explicit, it's more implicit. And so uh a lot of times you you would want to focus on that message. How did the author do you know uh develop their message in their story and how did they develop their message in their informational text? I like yes. to start there and talk about the message but really in an informational text it's more explicit where you can actually see what the message is all about and then what you have to figure out though that's implicit is bias a lot of times so you can kind of look at that attitudes tones and things like that the tone of the author and then there were in a narrative you can also deal with those types of issues tones of authors so to me that's where it probably overlaps the most but when you're looking at, I think Josh's question pretty much hit like with plot and setting, because apparently what we were, how does the setting influence the character? Or how does the setting influence the plot? But when you're dealing with both, even in informational text, there's a setting because that information occurred somewhere. So even if so, I would be like maybe looking at the setting and how did that setting influence what that that piece is about so if uh i'm thinking about an an article that we had to read um with our kids one time Uh, i think it was like a release test or something and it dealt with um i think they did a paired passage with Beatles, and um i think it was no it wasn't it was I can't remember, but anyway, it dealt with Velcro. I don't know if you remember reading that passage. Do you remember reading that passage? I think we used it on a test or yeah. something. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The Velcro anyway, the, one. Yeah, the Velcro one, and so where the location of that Velcro, where that person was when he created that Velcro, that's still an informational text, but that that where he was located and what he was looking at at that time influenced think he was looking at burrs and things like that. So where he was located really influenced uh, what he ended up doing. So you could, and what, and how he went about uh, doing uh, Velcro. Now that's a story for him, but I mean, really a lot of informational texts, even if they're explaining something, it happens somewhere. So I don't know. I mean, I think I could find uh, connections. It's probably a reach but it's the idea of thinking about what is the the message, and how did the author get there and what inspired him? And a lot of times, what inspires them is setting. What inspires them is, you know, informational. So I would try to figure out a way to compare it if I could.
1: So you are kind of thinking the exact same way I was in terms of they don't exactly overlap. And I think that's where, mhm we get stuck in the weeds a little bit, right. Is especially in kind of workshop. And we, we get this idea that everything has to be exact, but independent reading is not exact, we have to remember what independent reading is for, right? It's building fluency. It's building comprehension. It's building background knowledge. It's building stamina, right? It's doing a lot of the more all encompassing skills. So, when you're when kids are independent reading, you have to keep in mind that those are really the the core tenets of what they're doing. Now, in that episode uh, that he's referring to, I do ground myself in the standards, but I can there we have overlapping standards here in Texas. We have, you know, synthesis standards and inferencing standards and and so many of those pieces that go into all of these other genres. But I like what you said, and I think it's really important to say that, you know, you can talk about author's purpose in any text, right? You can break that. Let me back up the, I think one of the greatest skills and something that we don't talk about enough in literacy, uh, in the secondary level, at least is breaking that wall between like, I'm someone doing something like I'm reading this to answer questions or I'm reading this because someone told me rather than I'm bringing everything I know about the world and my knowledge to this piece. And that is going to affect how I read it. It's going to affect how I inference. It's going to affect how I think about it. And you can overcome that, but you have to have the metacognition available to think about how you're thinking about a text. Mm So, for instance, whether like let's use a I won't use specific political examples, but let's use a political uh, perspective. So if you're someone who leans a certain way on the political spectrum and you go to an opposing site or you see something that is kind of an opposing view on social media, if you are cognitively aware and you are consciously thinking about what you believe and your your natural bias to certain things just because of your life experiences, et cetera, et cetera, that is going to help you read read something that might disagree with you but read it in a productive way. Doesn't mean you have to agree with what you're reading, but it will allow you to analyze it on a deeper level versus someone who's just going, "Oh my god, I can't believe someone would say this. This is horrible." Right? Like Right. It's it adds depth to be able to think about what you're thinking before you go into something and then analyze. Okay. So what is this author saying? Do I agree? Do I disagree? Why do I disagree? Why do I agree? Um, and those skills are universal to all text, all, uh, reasons for reading. And I I think that is at least if it's not the major reason why we should always be marrying these things together, it's at least a massive part of of easing the, the anxiety of, oh, my God, we're we have to spend, you know, fifty five percent or sixty percent of our curriculum talking about nonfiction. OK, so nonfiction has perspectives. Nonfiction has structure. Nonfiction has figurative language. Nonfiction has grammatical choices. Nonfiction has, uh, all of those things that also tie into poetry and story and novels and short story and picture books. And so I think the more we remind ourselves about those and hone in on those and realize what independent reading is for, I, I, I I don't know. I think it kind of covers those bases. I don't know what your thoughts
0: yeah I mean, i th- I think you're right about that. and and, you know, I like independent reading because I like for them to respond uh, to it in different ways. um but I do use the question a lot, and that is going with author's purpose, like you said, and that is how did the author use whatever it is? fill in the blank. So it could be how did the author use setting and that I think that could work in an informational text and or nonfiction and in fiction because how did the author use time and place in your? So you don't have to say setting, but you say time and place in your piece. So now they have to go back, look and see what they did. Is there any time or place? So, in the case where my students are reading about football, well, there is a time and a place. There is a Super Bowl where that particular person they're interested in performed, right? And they have statistics. And did the location matter? Well, if you're talking about that first game in Green Bay up there and it was the big ice bowl, well, I think that the setting did make a difference in somebody's stats and so the kids could look at that, did the author bring it up or did they not bring it up? So I mean, you can look at you can look at it from that viewpoint and that is the author's purpose. So I like I like the fact that you brought in maybe I was hinting at it but the the author's purpose. And I always ask the questions how did the author do and whatever it is how did the author show uh their or prove their message how did the author uh develop their idea how did the author develop the character how did the author show evidence how did the author help you predict how did the author um you know build suspense you know how did the author um uh, tie everything back to the controlling idea. So there's that, all kinds of things that you can do.
1: Well, again, I mean, you're pointing out something that I think is, it's obvious when we put a name to it, but it's something that I don't think we we talk about enough, which is the no. just the, I mean, literally, I mean, reading like a reader and reading like a writer, right? And having yeah. that that perspective of how does the author make me believe this by the end of the article, right? Whatever it is. A great article can be incredibly persuasive. You know, there are political leaders that are incredible speakers that can convince millions of people to agree with them. There are, I mean, there's charismatic authors, Who write really amazing books that get people to convince people of them or or convince people to to side with them on a certain subject in nonfiction and fiction. George Orwell has his his fictional stories have literally changed common narratives. I mean, how often have you heard the term big brother in your life? Mm hmm. And how often oh, yeah. and, or doublespeak and all of those things that just live in the zeitgeist of of culture. Shakespeare. Right. I just sat mm-hmm. on, by the way, small tangent. I just sat on a teacher who did. Uh, she was doing Romeo and Juliet. I, I had. Oh, uh, I did that so many times. I was in there and oh, my God. Ta- I haven't sat through a Romeo and Juliet lesson and uh, probably since I was a teenager and I haven't I've read it as an adult, but I haven't like I haven't gone back to it in a long time. And I mm-hmm. she was a master at her craft because she there was a lot of direct teaching, which we had talked about beforehand, um, mm-hmm. but it, it was for a reason. But she did it in such a way that. I was like, I have, this is amazing. Cause she was adding, she was, she was focusing on figurative language. The whole lesson was about the figurative language of between Romeo and Juliet. And it was the, the balcony scene that she was focusing
0: oh, yeah. on. Yeah, Romeo, Romeo. Yes. But in, and
1: in Juliet, <laughs> when she's like, you're the, you're the God of <laughs> my idolatry. And yeah. I mean, it's just, I was so blown away by the depth that she was getting and, and, uh-huh. and the language that, that she was, she was, she spoke about it in such a passionate way that that the kids were engaged. They, they loved all of this. And yeah, I mean, did they get every note she was saying? No, because that happens when, when a master of their craft is talking to, you know, you have to kind of, you you don't get everything, um, from, from someone like that, but it was so cool to experience something like that. And I think that that is that piece though, right? She was focusing on figurative language. She could easily put, a. A nonfiction article that's heavy handed and like like an opinionated article that has figurative language like that and then have that conversation. If why would Shakespeare say something like you're the god of my idolatry from from Juliet to Romeo? And why would this author trying to talk about. Uh, the need for clean water in certain cities in America, why would they use this type of verbiage and have that discussion? You can do that across genre, across purpose. And that's when I say grounded in the standard, that's what I mean. That's a cut a hundred percent grounded in the standard.
0: Right. Well, I think that was something that, uh, you know, way back when we, we actually worked together uh, the first time, that was something I, I remember you sitting there trying to figure out, how am I going to do this? And that was one of the things that you did was you did that multi-genre approach with your students. And and I thought it was very successful uh, looking at it from different different viewpoints. But taking that one concept and looking at it and how did the author deal with that one concept and all these different pieces? Because you could take the same thing and you could do poems. and so of course, Romeo and Juliet is written in. You know, when they're speaking, it's iambic pentameter and all of that stuff. So, you know, they're already speaking like that. But then, you know, where does that apply somewhere else? I I like that idea. I think that would work. And I think that's what you're doing when you have all of your kids reading something different. And then you can have some rich discussions, especially like figurative language. You know, find a place like this. You give them a model. They go see if they can find anything like that. And then they do that rich discussion that you're talking about. So they do what she does, but they do it in their groups. That would be a great thing you could do with, um, you know, with that, with all of their pieces. And it doesn't matter whether they're doing informational text or it doesn't matter whether they're doing that. And even if they don't find something, even if it's like it feels like it's a bust, if you can get them to talk about what it is that they were reading, you're already winning. You're winning the minute that they can go back and recap what they've read, and they're telling somebody else about what they read. Even if it's like, hey, try to convince your your uh, neighbor here that the book that you have is better than their book. You know, do something like that, boy. Now you've got them talking, and make sure you include all the stuff that we've been learning about. So tell them how the author did what they did. You got to convince them. So you create an argument, but not a you know not an argument like bad. I'm telling. You actually do a, not a debate, but a convincing. You're trying to convince your piece that you're trying to sell your book or your poem or something like that to someone else. I think that would be something you could really do with this. And it doesn't matter if they don't quite get it, but you can try your best to tie in what they can. And then maybe next time just say, okay, if you read a nonfiction piece this time, this next time, uh, see if you've got a. Uh, some fiction that you can pull up. So let's make sure that we're trying different types of genres. And then that's how I would handle that.
1: So my question to you, Ochoa, and I, Mm -hmm. I think this ties into Josh's question is, you know, when, how do you handle those conversations though? So let's, let's get micro. We, I think we've, we spent like 30 minutes on kind of the, the macro level talking about just kind of the the bigger concepts. So
0: now you're going to make me tell them what I really do. uh, Oh my, I mean, it's (laughs) at least think through it. Okay. Micro. Go ahead. So just in in terms of, you know,
1: let's say like, like for us, for instance, and I, I'm Mm -hmm. sure in, uh, Chicago there's probably some similar stuff but like the the major like nonfiction unit you know at the middle school level for us here is kind of research right like now they're mm-hmm. informational there's uh, literary nonfiction but research is kind of like the really heavy one I feel like that's when you hit the most the the most wide-ranging version of nonfiction because there, mm-hmm. there's so many sources there's so many things to look at um and so, what what does that conversation really look like? If you're having conversations around nonfiction and reading nonfiction to gain information, and kids reading mostly fiction, what what kind of I don't know. What, I guess let's start with the struggles. That's probably the easier one to start with because it is difficult. But what's the struggle that you faced in trying to merge the 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 skill it takes to read, you know, a novel versus uh, reading informational pieces for to to gain information to to create a, a piece or to create a research project or whatever what are, what are the difficulties there?
0: Well to me actually and I think we shared this I shared this with you before it seems like my students have a difficult time with story at least the ones that I've been getting lately and uh informational text I think probably because um uh, the fact that everybody was saying, that they were not doing well in informational text. So we've done this big, huge rush on informational text and making sure the kids get it. So now I think we're losing story. I I think you have to have a balance between both. And your question to me again was.
1: What do you see the, like, what's the difficulty? Like I want, I want, I want to just kind of, I want to, I want to put a, a lantern on the the difficult pieces of of merging these conversations like do you do you actively try to get kids to connect those things do you, is it something that's more on the back end of, of what you're doing as an educator or like what what does that look like for you
0: well typically if if you're going to really want to know what I do is the kids come in they 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 read a book of their choice and then I have a section in my craft book called s squared r squared so i'm thinking about what do i need to do so let's say we're doing figurative language like you said a minute ago so then what i would do is i'm like okay what question can i ask that would include most of the kids right so then i would say i would write on the board or on my slide and it would be a definition, of figurative language, um, an example. And then I would say, see if you can find examples of this in your reading today. So what I have them do is they read first for the first, let's say, 10, 15 minutes. And then I say, okay, now go back into your books. Here's your question that I want you to answer today. And then they answer it physically, you know, written. They do a written answer and they have to give me the the evidence, the page number and all of that, and maybe the a piece of the text. And they put that in their craft book. Then from there, what I typically do is... And the question might be, how did the author use figurative language in your piece? Can you find examples? How, If you can, how did the author use it? And why was it used? That's typically where I go with my questions. And then... What I do after that is, is, uh, I might say, okay, at your table with the person to your left, or, you know, you're at, maybe you're two people on the, on, you know, when I did, um, Kagan, it's like your A and your B partner and, uh, your C and your D partner. So your elbow partners or whatever you want to call it. But anyway, then the, what they would do is they would share what they found. They would tell a little bit about their book. And then they would have to discuss what they found in their written part and go over that with each other. Then after that, I pull them all back together. And then I go around because I have them right now on tables. And so I'll say, okay, uh, table one, what are, you know, and I might ask one of them to volunteer. What did y'all talk about today? Share with us what you found. And so I go around the room And we share a little bit and I write some of their answers on the board or type them up there on the slide. And uh, another thing you could do is put them on a padlet. There's all kinds of ways that you can demonstrate or show their questions. And then I pick some and then we talk about it. I pick the ones that are actually what I want. And then I pick the ones that maybe don't quite hit the mark. And then I go about and and reteach it right there. And explain why that wouldn't be an example of figurative language or why it did work. And then we just kind of talk about it. Is that what you were
1: wanting? Yes. And you actually, I mean, you're triggering a lot of, you know, just my thoughts in general on Mm -hmm. the, the idea, because truthfully, Um, and this came about when I had the little mastermind of my literacy coaching class where I had those 20 kids cause I was, I made the decision. I don't even remember this, but our, we were sitting in the office and I was like, you know, we have these new standards. We hadn't had the curriculum yet. We hadn't done curriculum writing. And I said, you know what, Ochoa, I'm going to use the new standards because why not?
0: That's right. I remember that.
1: I said, mm-hmm. "Let's just see," because I figured it would it would educate me on how to help people later. It would educate me as a teacher. We'd do all these things, and so mm-hmm. I taught the new standards before we ever even considered them in the district, um, and that left me with a lot of room to be flexible. Because the one thing that we were told. Was that the new Texas standards when we adopted them? That they were multi-genre. That's what they kept saying. And so my head was going, okay. So what does what does that look like to teach like? Yeah. in a multi-genre perspective? And one of the th- one of the earliest uh, concepts that I started, and I and I truly think it followed me all the way up until today, is is going through and thinking about and the, i mean the, i'm i'm kind of stumbling over myself but the, the this connects mm-hmm. to the idea of the the multi-genre approach that we've talked about on the podcast and in training which is let's do let's do the technology example right so what i did when i was trying to figure this out and get kids connecting to stuff is i had them so their independent reading was literature circles the literature circles were entirely focused on specific stuff. They all had something to do with technology, right? My high group was reading Anthem by Ayn Rand, um, another group was reading Flora and Ulysses, which has some technological, uh, stuff in there. There was another group who was reading the city of Ember, right. And stuff like that. And so mm. I had control of their independent reading sort of now they still pick their groups and we, I kind of orchestrated it through that. I was also pulling in guided reading through there because that was a big push in our district at the time at the middle school level. Right. And while they were reading those, I was showing them the stuff that was connected to technology. So I showed them a poem called touch screen, which is absolutely incredible. Um, for those who want to find it, you just type in touch screen slam poem on YouTube. Um, look at the old one. Don't look at his Ted talk version. His Ted talk version sucks. I don't know what he did. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I, I i don't know what it is i think it was just the the different audience or whatever but it's not as passionate but the the touchscreen slam poem it's he's in like a dark room it's like 2006 2007 2008 something like that and it's incredible um so i would show them that and then i showed them uh there will come soft rains by ray bradbury and so they were reading uh They were reading a book that had to deal with technology. We watched a poem that had to do with technology and then we read a short story. And then I showed them articles about technology. And what we did through that process is we constantly asked, what is the author's perspective? What is the author pushing here? But more importantly, and this is what you triggered in my memory, was what are the ideas being put forth here? I don't think kids think enough about the ideas in fiction. Um now does every novel or every comic book have some really deep idea? No. I mean, a lot of stuff is, you know, it's like popcorn, right? It's it's you go to the movies, you watch Marvel, it means nothing, it's just fun and it's exciting. There's a
0: lot of that out there. Hang on just a second. <laughs> they have some deep things in Marvel. Yes, I'm sure they do. They do. <laughs> friendship loyalty yeah.
1: commitment okay whatever so good clearly, and evil clearly i'm not a marvel fan see i prefer the joker I love marvel I prefer the joker where with uh, Wa- joaquin phoenix because it's there's mature dark. themes there okay? dark the dark night dark yeah anyway <laughs> I do so <laughs> I know. I, I pulled out Marvel. So you're
0: DC on Marvel. We're good. Right. We're good.
1: I know. We're we're opposites. <laughs> I don't think people realize that you and I disagree on quite a bit in life, but we we coalesce at this weird podcast. <laughs> Um, I mean, you agree with a lot too. Of course, of course. But we definitely have some disagreements anyway. Yeah. Uh, so my point is, is that, yes, there's, there's a lot of this, but getting kids to even think about that, the ideas of stuff is, I think one of the major skills that it takes to be a nonfiction reader, to be able to consume news, you have to be able to go, what ideas mm-hmm. are being pushed on me? Right. It's true. You, you yeah. uh, to uh, watch, I mean, to even like to let, let's put it in a more modern context these kids fall in love with these tiktok stars and these youtube stars and these instagram stars all of those people if they have a big enough audience they're pushing something they're pushing a product they're pushing advertisement they're pushing an agenda right there's there's all of this stuff you know one of the uh, i mean this could be a whole podcast but are, are you familiar with andrew tate by any chance Sounds familiar,
0: but I'm not as familiar as you probably think I
1: should 1,000%. Anyone listening to this podcast who is teaching probably maybe 10, 11-year-olds and up, ask your kids if they know who Andrew Tate is. guarantee you they do. He is a TikTok phenomenon, a YouTube YouTube star. But here's the thing. He's huge on Instagram. He's a world-famous kickboxer four times over. World, like number one, like top. I know who he is. Yeah, but go ahead, keep going. Here's the thing he is incredibly controversial because of his takes on what women should be in a relationship. He's incredibly oh, controversial he for some of the other stuff that he's done. There's videos of him, you know, beating one of his ex girlfriends. He's incredibly controversial recently because Romania just charged him and his brother. Uh, that's
0: right. That's how I know him. Yes. That, with, that's
1: what it is. He was in with, the news. With all kinds of sex crimes and, and winning these women over that he's openly talked about uh, and yes. done this. And he has a literally an organization that people can join. The teenagers, young men, young women, mostly young men, though, they can join and they can learn his philosophy. So it's almost like this cult thing. So, I mean, it's crazy. There's so many nuances to this. My whole point in talking about that is... Kids, when we're talking about skills, if people talking about what is this person trying to convince me of, right? What is this person's agenda? If you can get kids to think that way, you're already helping kids be more successful in the real world than most activities would, but you're still within the standard. That is standards-based teaching that goes beyond the world. Author's purpose. Why is this person making this video? What is, are they being shocking to get views? are they trying to get clicks are they trying to get me to engage with their posts so that they get they don't care like you know do they care about my opinion or are they just trying to get me riled up so i push the algorithm so they generate money for their ads right that's real world skills in the current problem of of social media we always complain that kids are so sucked into social media that it's ruining all kinds of stuff but what Really how you break that process is teaching kids how to go, okay, I'm enjoying this, but why is it feeding into my animal instincts? Is it appealing to my anger? Is it trying to gaslight me into some type of behavior that is real skills that can exist in the English classroom across content, regardless of what kids are reading. And, and it's, I I think those pieces for people like Josh, for any teacher, to really go in and go, why is the author doing this? Why does this sentence make you mad? Why does this paragraph make you agree with him? Those questions are, I think, the the epitome of what modern teaching should be asking.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I agree. As a matter of fact, I was busy writing down some of the things because I think I might uh, that might be what I do next. So I've already got. <laughs> thank you. I've already got my unit. <laughs> mm. I mean, that's what it's really about. I I remember that you did that because we sat there and did that because I helped you with the Flora group. Yes, you
1: did. And that's the thing Uh you, you saw it like, you know, in context and on the periphery, but truly like that whole experience was me going, okay, so how do I merge all of this into, into something that really makes sense and moves kids. And it's just, you know, I've refined it over the years and now I'm in a different role. So I'm I'm helping in different ways but it the concept's the same. It's how many mm-hmm. skills can I get to translate from from this piece to the next piece to this piece? And so for Josh, that would be my question to him. It's like, what do you want kids to know? How can you transfer this across genre? I guarantee you if you ask that question and you really explore it, you can figure it out.
0: Well, and there's one more aspect I think and I just, you know, I brought it up and, uh, a second ago when I had the kids write I do think that one of the things that I do is I put them also in the position. So when you're asking, why did the author, how did the author, what ideas are they trying to push? You turn around and put them in that position and they start becoming an author. Why did you do what you did? Why did you, what are you trying to push? How are you going around convincing others of your, of what you want to push? So if you put them in the role of author, then they have an empathetic Uh, if you will, uh, viewpoint on trying to figure out what the author's doing. And I found that, um, especially with my honors kids, I get pretty good bang for my buck in that area where I put them in the role of that writer. And uh, that's what we do in our workshop, writing workshop. And I think that's, I, I also pull from that as well. So that's something that I do that I wanted to kind of make sure I said. So let's let's close. Well, I mean, what what's a, what's a
1: closing thought for Josh? He's someone who clearly wants his kids independently reading. He clearly right. wants to be standards focused. He clearly wants to also, you know, do what his district is asking him to do, which is beautiful. How do you go about merging these things? How do you think about them? Because you, we've we've documented this well throughout this the existence of this mm-hmm. podcast is that you and I have often had to. Take our beliefs, take our passions and slowly merge them with what's being asked of us and try to fit them into this, this puzzle that doesn't always fit, but we try the best we can. So in terms of someone who might be struggling with that, what's your advice?
0: Well, um, my advice is to sit down and figure out what, you know, what are your standards? Look at your scope and sequence. What is it that the district's wanting you to do? know what's best for kids and kids need to have time to read. They need choice. It's it's I think it's been to me it's a convincing argument. It makes sense the better that you know the more practice that they get. So so I would tell them that no matter what he does, figure out a way to get the kids to have choice in their reading and give them time to read. Then I would look at my standards and if you have to include, you know, just see the standards as you were talking about at the beginning. And that is which standards overlap which standards would work. Um, And always, I would go straight to the author's purpose. I think to me, author's purpose questions, this is a great place to handle that. Uh, Author's purpose, and then uh, you can ask something specific depending on what your scope and sequence is is having you do. But always do it in the sense of how did the author get here? How did the author do that? How did the author use a setting to direct the plot? As we said earlier, how did the author... Uh, Use time and place um, in this nonfiction piece, you know, those kinds of things. And so I, I think what I would do is look and see what everybody has, see where the overlapping parts are and make sure that I stay true to what's best for the kids while at the same time asking questions that make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do. And uh, I would just teach. I, I would teach it in context. I mean, I, I would. I would also pull in some writing in there as well. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's probably a really convoluted answer. I don't know. What What do you think? I mean, truthfully, I think
1: it comes down to. I mean, really, in summary of what we were saying, which is. Look at every aspect that is, that connects, find all the ways that these cases, and it might be small. Like it doesn't always have to be big. Like even thinking about sentence structure. Hey, we were reading this article today. We annotated it. Go back into your books today in independent reading. What do you notice? What's different in sentence structures, Mm -hmm. right? That could be something. Mm -hmm. What Mm -hmm. do paragraphs look like in this article versus your book? Um, you know, I know he's he's teaching sixth grade in an elementary setting. Maybe a lot of his kids are reading graphic novels. Find some nonfiction articles that use dialogue and figure out how graphic novels might be using dialogue differently. How are scenes mm-hmm. set up differently? Those things are those cross connections. It might not be 100 percent. And it might not be exactly, hey, this standard connects to what they're reading. But what you're doing is you're creating synthesis. You're creating a realization in your students that... Writing is universal Story is universal The best nonfiction has the best Story behind it It get There's a reason why the news Comes on and it's like single Mother of five lost right It's like yeah it's, yeah That's the story. plot that's what it is That's how they uh-huh. get us that's A story is human and so The more connections you make with that I, I think that kids just It breaks the cycle of Okay now I'm reading nonfiction now I'm reading fiction now i'm reading poetry it's teaching your kids that all writing is writing worth thinking about and interacting with it just might take a slightly different skill set in order to interact with it effectively so that that would be my 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 end to that and that's it for this episode ladies gentlemen thank you for coming to the craft the draft podcast Joe's over there looking for something looks like she lost her computer i don't know what's going on but if you (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode, <laughs> then subscribe, leave a review. If you have not already, those reviews really do help other people find this podcast. They look at reviews like, Oh, this podcast has several reviews. They're all five stars. Let's jump in. Let's see what kind of fun they're having over there. If you want more of this, if you really enjoy this, or if you really just want to be a part of a great community, go join us over there on Patreon. Like I said, there are hours of content that no one else has Heard, including our latest one, which is wonderfully zany. So go check that out. There are training videos that are ready for you to peruse and dive in, including our explanation of the craft and draft process. Remember, we're not just workshop people, we actually develop something that we think helps you guys helps workshop teachers so go over there hang out join us over there on patreon just like so many of our other listeners have keeps the lights on keeps the podcast going and most importantly come back next week for another amazing episode and with all of that ladies and gentlemen know that we are here for you